Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture. And this week, we'll get to five unsolved crimes in what's been called the most beautiful small town in America in the podcast Bardstown. We'll also give you the download on Netflix's data-driven documentary, The Great Hack. Joining me to get that done and a whole lot more is my real-life husband and true crime co-author and my partner in crime in just about every other way, Kevin Flint. Hello, Kevin. Aloha, Rebecca. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and lady who threw a bird out of her house with a lacrosse stick or whatever it's called, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> and finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy and our Patreon book club host and sports ball lover, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. All right. Well, we have a couple things we need to catch up on on the podcast. But first and foremost, our lead story this evening. I feel like we should cue some like news music here. Laura, you're not the lead. You're in the B block. Sorry. Oh, darn. <laughs> Kevin, you are the lead because we have an update and we have news. What is going on with your health this week, Kevin Flynn? I had a body scan and uh, they were, you know, looking for signs of cancer and the doctor said they did not see anything that was worrisome to them. Dun, 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 dun. So uh, that's good. I mean, there'll be a more definitive blood test in a couple of weeks, but... Uh, you know, right now they, there's there's nothing left to treat. So I'm feeling really good, and now I'm moving forward. Are you saying all the gifts and thoughts and prayers that our listeners sent you worked their magic? They did, <laughs> absolutely did. I want to thank. I, I think I've done this before, but I want to thank everybody for their well wishes and for following along my journey and all the support they shared, their personal stories about cancer or thyroid problems or both. Not everybody who goes through this journey has the army of folks behind them that I did. And so I was, I've been very blessed at this point in my life to have you guys in it with me. And it goes for Laura and Toby, too. And you're still working on your voice. Hopefully that will be healing and that's coming a, back. That's a separate thing. <laughs> hey, I want to show just one thing, Rebecca. What is this that I have in my hand? Uh-oh. That is your wedding ring? 
my wedding ring and why have I not been wearing it? Oh, because you thought you might have to go back to the hospital and every time you go to the hospital, they make you take it off and it's oh. really hard to put on and take off. Right. So it's been oh. six months since I've worn my wedding. Oh my gosh. Watch it. Oh, it's like we're married all over again. Putting yeah. it back on. There you go. That's just in time too because Kevin, look what's not on my hand. You took off your wedding ring. Why? Because you're having surgery tomorrow. <laughs> oh my God. And they told me to take it off. Oh, so by the way, know. I can't put it back on. <laughs> That's my own thing. All right, it's on. Oh, Use some Kapari. It'll slide right back oh, on. That's why I got mine on. <laughs> <laughs> ah. So, yeah, so tomorrow you have your ankle surgery. Yes, I no? just took the final photo of my unscarred ankle for the rest of my life. It's going to uh-huh. have an ugly Frankenstein uh-huh. scar. Uh-huh. Yes, so I'm going under the knife tomorrow. I'm going under full anesthesia. It's going to be a good time. Kevin's looking forward to doing all the laundry, all the grocery shopping, all the dog walking, and all of the servicing to my bitchy needs for the next mm. several weeks. Nice. Congratulations, Kevin. Congratulations to me. <laughs> all right, in our second story this evening, what is it called, Kevin, on TV news, like the B block? Is it the B block? Yeah, the B block. <laughs> or it's the moron news. Uh, you well. know they say, more on that next. <laughs> Laura Bricker, you have two quick updates for us. One is that you did, in fact, scoop up a bird with a lacrosse stick and throw it out of your house today because your cat is a serial killer. Yeah. But that is not the story I want to hear about. Okay. I want to hear about your close encounter with a real life human killer. What's up with that? Yeah, well, and I apparently I didn't even know it. So um, you all may remember, I think I even took some pictures for you, Rebecca, when there was a murder in Exeter last year in one of the mobile home parks, and the lady had been killed, and then her, her trailer had been set on fire. You actually took news photos that the news outlet I work for paid for and published on our yes. website. So I went out and I took news photos and and the guy that they ended up arresting was this peculiar guy because like every picture you'd see of him, he looked like a different person. And and like, you know, there was a lot of mystery around him. Well, he was sentenced last week. He pleaded guilty. And lo and behold, he was working for the paving company that paved my driveway last year. And so I knew they were sketchy. I mean, like, you know, everybody- Did you think you were a target? Well, I I had some issues with the whole paving thing to start with because like they wouldn't give me a written estimate and all that stuff. And then they just showed up and started working before we'd even- And apparently they showed up and started working with a murderer. So, uh, I mean- You think you didn't push them too hard. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I guess it's a good thing that I just kind of went along with it when they showed up and was like, oh, guess we're getting it paved, even though we didn't sign a contract or anything. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I thought they were a little sketchy, some of the workers. Now, I guess my feeling was correct. <laughs> Toby, what about you? Have you ever had any close encounters with a real life murderer? Um, not that I know of. Oh, thank goodness. I know. Thank goodness. You can hang out with my cat, Toby, if you yeah, like to hang out yeah. with. Which cat um, is it? Which, which is so, the killer cat? Well, they're both killers. So there's two killing situations going on at my house right now. So Rocky Flintstone has found a stash of frogs outside, and that's what he's been killing and eating. So he's on like this high cholesterol diet right now. So he's been he's been getting a little more pudgy. Felix, on the other hand, has been killing birds and he brought one in the house the other day and came in. He has a little cat door and brought it in. I walked in the kitchen and I went, oh, and I got like a dustpan and took it outside and said, you eat your bird outside. Today, in comes Felix with another bird and I follow him in the kitchen. I'm like, oh, you've got to fucking be kidding me. And this one was still alive. So he put it down. It started flying around the kitchen. And I'm like, oh my God, he captured it again. 
He had it on the floor. That's when I grabbed. I don't know why I had a lacrosse stick. I don't know where it came from with the little net. Does and anyone I, in your house play lacrosse? No, I think it was something somebody <laughs> gave it like a birthday <laughs> present. It might have been in my Marie Kondo. It's not bringing me joy pile to, to go to Goodwill. And I like looked at the cat and I was like, put that bird down. And he just opened his mouth and dropped it. I scooped it up, ran outside. The bird flew away. Nice. Nice. So I am apparently, I'm like mother of dragons. The cat did what I said. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to mention uh, for our Patreon uh, followers, and for those of you who do not even pay for our Patreon, there's actually a free piece of content up on our Patreon right now that I posted this past weekend, which is the panel that I did at Podcast Movement, uh, How to Make an Ethical True Crime Podcast featuring Amber Hunt of Accused, uh, Justin Lin of The Village, Natalie Jablonski from In the Dark, and of course the amazing Connie Walker from Missing and Murdered. That is available to listen to for free right now at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You don't have to be a Patreon member. You don't have to be a Patreon member. You can listen to that for free. And also the CBC Podcast Network dropped the same conversation in their Uncovered feeds. Now there's two places to hear it. I really want as many people as possible to listen to this conversation I'm really proud of it it was super good the guests are all great and it's all about what makes the difference between a good and ethical true crime podcast and total garbage so you should totally check out this conversation but also on our Patreon right now Kevin and I will be doing a new Mary with podcast in the next few days but on today's crime writers on after show you will find out why I will never say anything bad well, unless something horrible happens, like a murder, about the ladies of my favorite murder. There's a reason why uh, I will never, ever say anything bad about those fine ladies. And we'll also talk about a couple of shows that do not fit into the editorial of the main part of our podcast, like Dairy Girls, which Kevin and I are totally freaking psyched to talk about. So that's what's on the Patreon after show today. If you're not a patron of our show, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media and you can get all of our bonus content there. Is everybody ready to start the podcast? We are. Yep. I'm ready. Who has seen an advertisement that has convinced you that your microphone is listening to your conversations? Netflix's latest documentary dives into the scandal around Cambridge Analytica and its use of social media to target voters. All of your interactions, your credit card swipes, web searches, locations, likes, they're all collected in real time into a trillion dollar a year industry. The real game changer was Cambridge Analytica. They'd worked for the Trump campaign and for the Brexit campaign. They started using information warfare. Cambridge Analytica claimed to have 5,000 data points on every American voter. The story begins with David Carroll, a digital media professor who sues the company to access the data it's collected on him and presumably the rest of the world. Former employee Brittany Kaiser plays the role of both co-conspirator and maybe whistleblower when European officials examine Cambridge Analytica's shady dealings with Facebook, Brexit, and the Trump campaign. The Great Hack is a think piece about how forces can harness our digital footprints to influence our voting behaviors and the way we look at the world. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from The Great Hack, so if you want to stay spoiler-free, jump to the time code in our show notes. 
All right, Kevin. So the protagonists in this documentary are interesting. One of them is this guy, David Carroll. He's a professor. He's an interesting guy. He's a good expert on what's happening with our data. What do you think about his journey and his effort as a sort of a plot point here that kicks off the documentary to find out what it is Cambridge Analytica has on him? You know, he's he is an interesting character. He certainly articulates what the issue is very well. And, you know, as opposed to just sort of being this uh, expert talking head in the documentary, he actually has a very active role with his lawsuit. So he was a good guy to follow. Now, I think that it would be a bad idea for us not kind of immediately to talk about Brittany Kaiser because... <laughs> She's, um, you know, this documentary in many ways reminded me a little bit of, I don't think it's as good at, as, but it reminded me a lot of Citizen Four, the outstanding documentary about Edward Snowden. Right. And, uh, you know, the sort of real time way that he fled the United States and, you know, leaked data to Glenn Greenwald and Laura Petrois. It's super interesting and very suspenseful documentary. And Brittany Kaiser kind of is the Edward Snowden character in this documentary where the filmmakers go find her in an undisclosed location in Thailand, swimming like in a beautiful pool. And so for my own Jeez. safety, I don't need geolocation of where this is. It's just me sitting here. The person trying to overthrow two administrations and all of the most powerful companies in the world all at once <laughs> with one disjointed but hopefully soon seamless narrative. Laura, <laughs> what do you think of Brittany Kaiser? Uh, she's a very confusing character to me because I feel like, you know, you're set up to feel like she's a whistleblower. You're supposed to respect that she's telling the truth and she's coming forward. She's just kind of nutty. I mean, it's like just bizarre. The whole thing, I was like, is this real? When she's in Thailand in the pool and she's always wearing like the cocaine island hat thing that she's got going on. And I didn't find her to be as sympathetic as I thought I was supposed to. I felt like she actually didn't come across really as all that remorseful. She just always seemed to me, I felt like she kind of went a little bit where the wind blew. Um, and, and it was like, well, now it's convenient to be a whistleblower. And so, hey, it's better than the other options for me. I just found it very bizarre, like when they're in the boat and she's just like going along doing the interview with that strange journalist guy. And like, what this strategy is mostly meant to do is to identify people who are still considering many different options. Yes. And educate them on some of the options that are out there. And if they're on the fence, then they can be persuaded to go one way or the other. Yes. Uh, again, that is their own choice. But a is lot it? of times these are individuals Is that, that their own choice? I guess I, I left feeling kind of conflicted about her because, I yeah, she started this foundation now and she's trying to change things. But very just bizarre personality. Toby has questions about that journalist, too, in the boat with Brittany Kaiser, don't you, Toby? <laughs> Yeah, I, I've got a problem with people who tuck their tops of their ears into their baseball caps. <laughs> <laughs> that seems petty, but it could be significant. It, who knows? It's, it's a tell. <laughs> it's a definite yeah. tell. What about you with Brittany Kaiser, though? Where do you land on her, Toby? Yeah, well, I think she's kind of interesting because, you know, I don't... She doesn't seem to me to be very ideological. And they make this big deal about how she worked for Obama. And then she went to Cambridge Analytica and dove right into sort of this very conservative political, you know, lifestyle, I guess, where she joined the NRA and was happy hanging out with all these conservative luminaries. So the the sense I kind of got out of it was 
I, th- I think we kind of would figure that somebody who's that involved with that kind of effort would do it because of like some strong ideological consideration. And I just don't think she she is very politically I- ideological. I think she kind of has gone where she thought had the best advantage for her. Was it surprising that she was willing to go from Obama to Cambridge Analytica? At first, you think so, but then afterwards, no. And I think that's also like she had a hard time figuring out, like, why did my friends, who presumably were liberal, you know, they've got this big problem with me, you know, working for Cambridge Analytica. And it's like, well, you know, no shit. It's because in their mind, you're working for the other side and making a lot of money off of it. And the fact that you don't understand that that's a consequence is like sort of a combination of sort of naivete, but also sort of, I think, some insight into the way you kind of think and see things. Well, I think the problem with Brittany Kaiser is that she doesn't appear to have a moral compass and that she is just kind of going, as you said, you know, going where the wind blows. And she doesn't seem to demonstrate a lot of remorse just worry that she's in trouble now. I think that's why I'm kind of turned off on her plight because she doesn't really seem like she wants to fix things. She just wants to sort of get out of it and sort of she wants to fix things, but belatedly, you know, it just, it seems like she had a moment and she didn't really like want to rise to the occasion. I want to like throw a little like question in here because I do think there was a thread here that the documentary touched on but didn't explore a whole lot. Um, there's not a ton known about Brittany Kaiser's personal life. In fact, when you look her up, you can't actually find out like exactly her age, but they people think she's about 33 years old. Mm-hmm. She did go to Phillips Andover Academy in two, and, and graduated in 2005. So that sort of pegs her around that age. She's uh, well-educated. Uh, you know, she came from the north side of Chicago. Her mom uh, worked for Enron. Her dad was a real estate developer. But she also very squarely fits in an age of Americans who... Dad know, worked for Enron? Well, no. And she didn't. Her mom. Her mom, her mom did. did. Yeah. Okay. Well, they keep like... She keeps saying, oh, well, like my family fell apart. My dad lost... So somebody like lost... They took well, forever to lose issue. their house. They lost their home. Yeah. But they don't, they don't say what that was. Right. But the other thing that kind of comes up is she talks about sort of the need to earn money. I mean, that's really what it's about. Mm-hmm. And... I, you know, work with a lot of people who are between the ages of like 28 and 36, 37 years old. They graduated college in an entirely different economy than people who are Gen Xers, like people who are in their 40s and 50s, right? Mm -hmm. They graduated in the throes of a recession, in a gig economy, in um, a situation where literally like if you had skills, you cobbled together what you could do to earn money. Now, I'm not saying that that absolves Brittany Kaiser of her responsibility and, you know, doing this work. But when she talks about she wasn't getting paid for her skills by the Obama campaign, she may have been a paid employee, but she was probably not making a lot of money. And then this other company came along and offered her actual real money for the skills that she'd honed. I'm not saying that I would have said yes, but I do understand it. I mean, this conversation comes up all the time. Like we hear about it like in the health insurance debate, right? Like people think that their company health insurance is great until they have to use it. And when we were in our 20s, our company health insurance like 
actually was great, even when you had to use it. Like I had two kids and it was free for me, basically, even with hospital stays and stuff. And that's just not what life is like anymore for professionals in their 20s and 30s. And there's a little piece of this. It kind of just, that's, that's one of my frustrations about this documentary is they do leave stuff dangling out there. You just sort of let Britney say that and they don't really explain. It just sort of just makes her sound like a villain for chasing money when there could be a very good reason for her chasing money. You know what I Everybody mean? Everybody chases money. Yeah, and it's... Yeah, but she also yeah. seemed... She seemed more attracted to like power and powerful people and sort Being of power the prestige adjacent. of yeah. knowing the powerful people. Like even when everything, like the shit's hitting the fan, when her boss um, is texting her and she is, you know, she's still kind of like, ah, ha, 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 like even though she's not texting him back, like, and then she's texting texting with some senator or somebody to give them the questions to ask Zuckerberg. You could tell she kind of got off on the association with powerful people. Oh, no, absolutely. 100%. 100%. Like, there's like she's just yucking it up with all these with all these people. You know, it's a little disingenuous to say it's just about the money. You know, you can do that and not be going to these cocktail parties and, you know. Joining the NRA. <laughs> You're not even a gun owner. She's enjoying she's being part owner. of that, the you know, the conservative elite, which, you know, is fine. Yeah. Guys, her experience is no different from anybody else in the political industrial complex. Right. That's, it's, it's, you know, she's not Darth Vader. She's a stormtrooper. Right. You know? Alexander Nix is Darth Vader. But she's, <laughs> perhaps. But she's, I mean, she's well, up there. I mean, she's up there. I mean, she's yeah. not just a worker bee. If your attorneys know. Public relations people know, doctors know. You can't pick your clients. Your clients pick you. You work for them. You may not like them, but that's part of the job, and she knows that. So I'm not going to say bad on her for picking the side of leave uh, in Brexit or for picking the Ted Cruz campaign and then the Trump campaign. That's what people do. The sin here is about how the data was obtained. Right. And more importantly, they don't go into is the messaging that they used. Right. There's a lot of focus on who they used it for. That's not the big deal. Because if they do it again in four years with different players, if you, if you want to be upset about the way an election turned out, that's not the point. The point ought to be, how was the data obtained? And then how was it used? And the messages that were pushed. The yeah. messages themselves. They said, well, we don't do that. That is a big thing they did not get into. I agree. In my mind, what's objectionable isn't even like, and hey, I, I think Cambridge Analytica is, they're not going to work for the, a liberal position. I mean, they're they're an uh, explicitly conservative organization, which is fine. The issue, and is, I think this would be the same if they were working for liberals, is it's not what political party they're keeping in power. It's who they're actually doing their service for, which is the wealthiest, most powerful people helping them, you know, maintain control. It's not just Brexit and and Trump and Cruz. It's also these like governments, these like dictators, like these, you know, oppressive governments. They're trying to put down what they talked about doing. What was it in Trinidad, Tobago? Yeah, that, that yeah. was nuts. Was some of the most disturbing stuff in the documentary where they, they, they waged a campaign to keep black kids from voting in an election. There are two main political parties, one for the blacks and one for the Indians. And, you know, they screw each other. So we were working for the Indians. We went to the client and we said, we want to target the youth. And we try and increase apathy. 
the campaign had to be non-political because kids don't care about politics. It had to be reactive because they're lazy. So we came up with this campaign, which was all about be part of a gang, do something cool, be part of a movement. And it was called the Do So Campaign. It means I'm not going to vote. Do so. Don't vote. That is so scary. It is so scary to me. Yeah, that that was the part that was really terrifying watching this was realizing like regardless of what side of an issue or political party that you, you know, find yourself on, the way that they were able to influence the voters, what did they call it, the persuadables? So they had they showed that map was it like Michigan and they showed the map and they showed where the people were that were the persuadables and how they were able to then like, you know, dial down on that to a level that they could specifically target those people. I mean, I feel like I'm living in like The Handmaid's Tale or something when I'm watching that. Why is that terrifying? Be- because I feel like it's like what would have happened if they hadn't gone out of their way to release basically what I would consider like propaganda to influence people to vote a certain way in an area. It's like Big Brother orchestrating how things are going to turn out based on who has enough money to pay to manipulate that data and use that propaganda to get the result that they want. That was what scared me because I just felt like what happened to like democracy where we all vote and it, it, it isn't influenced in that way. Guys, this is what campaigns have done for right, decades. Right, but I... With television and newspapers. Right, but Kevin... I, I don't... What? There's a difference between saying... This is what I believe. This are, these are the issues that I will fight for. These are my campaign positions. This is the uh, reason why I am better than the other guy. And putting out content, not ads, but content that is untrue, fake yeah. content. But that is a different issue than targeting but that's, voters, but that's which what is what all but, campaigns do. Correct. I don't mind the targeting. And, and I can say, were, if, a, you know, if a different outcome in an election happened, would you feel the same way? Well, here's the whole thing. So so, the, so the, the Kennedys, right, are yeah. known cheaters. They were yeah. known election cheaters. This is a fact. I'm not making it up. What do you mean? Like the Kennedys, for instance, in one of the elections that the Kennedys did uh, in one of the uh, districts where they were running against a guy and they, they got another guy with the same name to run in the same district so that there would be voter confusion and there'd be mm-hmm. two people on the ballot. Yeah, with the dirty same trick. Name. Total dirty trick. This is not taking, illegal. Not illegal. But this is taking dirty tricks to a level where it's like it's I'm actually I understand the sort of targeting the voters and all that stuff. That is what campaigns have done forever. But sending them propaganda designed to incite. Yeah, and that's, 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 the that, that's the part. I, that's the part I don't like. Is that they identified this map and then they went onto that map and then they sent out this like propaganda to specifically identified people. That's the part I didn't like. I, I'm sort of in the middle on this. In that, like some of the stuff is just typical sort of dirty trick stuff. Like you try and get a bunch of African Americans to rally one place. And then you also try and get a bunch of racists to rally in the same place and just to like kind of fuck with people. And the difference is now with social media, you can just be some dude at a Russian troll farm and you can make it all happen in like 10 minutes instead of in the past where it's going to be this huge organizational thing. It's just so easy to do this stuff now. And then 
you know, with what they were doing, which is this incredible amount of data mining and then being able to process that data and make profiles of people and stuff like that, it, it just makes it even more effective. So, you know, I think it's more ethically, you know, gray. I mean, some of it's definitely bad. And some of it, I think, is not all that objectionable. It's just there's a new way of doing it. And then I think there's a hell of a lot of stuff that kind of falls like somewhere in the middle there. You know, in the long run, it is, I think it, a lot of it falls on on Zuckerberg and Facebook who make money off making your data available for people while being kind of squirrely about if that's actually happening and what they're doing to stop it and all this stuff they do about their security. It's, you read again and again and again about how they're not telling you the whole story or they're changing something without telling you about it or they've sold certain things, but they haven't alerted their customers. Again, I think it's people with a lot of money or power who are kind of playing these games and just sort of preserving a certain order. And a lot of it is sort of invisible to 99.9% of the people. It just kind of happens without their knowledge, but they live with the consequences. Now, we do live in uh, like sort of the era of personal data being on the internet. The bottom line is if you want to interact with people on the internet via email, via searching websites, via Facebook, via Twitter, you can decide to be social media free, but use your credit card at a store and your data is out there. We all know this, right? David Carroll's particular pursuit is interesting to me, and I just kind of want to pull the panel because what he's trying to do in his lawsuit isn't to say that my data shouldn't be in the world. It is to say that I should be able to see what you have on me. Like, what is my data map? And it made me think a lot about, like, do you have a right to see your own medical records? Remember, there was a time in our lives where, like, you couldn't see your own medical records. And now, obviously, if you want to see them, you can. Um, so he, he kind of argues, you know, that your data privacy and the right to sort of have access to your data that's in the world is a basic human right. What do you guys think about that? Kevin, what do you think? I mean, a human right, like up there with food and water. And, and you know, I I don't know. I mean, I think I think we do have a, a right to know some of that information, to be able to request it. I don't think it's a human rights violation if, if you aren't able to find the 7,000 data points on yourself that, you know, over the past 10 years you've been leaving all over the Internet. But is but that I easier for you to say because you're not a persuadable? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I think the persuadables probably don't care. I think the problem is it's really, really difficult to opt out. There's no way of really protecting yourself from that stuff living in sort of a modern economy. Like there's just that data is going to be out there and people are going to be able to get it. I don't think people along the way were aware that that was happening or there was a chance at some point in the past to make a decision about what kind of data we were comfortable being bought and sold. So now it's just, I'm sure people know if they wanted to, there are firms that could find out like what I got at the grocery store today. Not that it really bothers me that they'll know I got wheat checks, but it's out there and, and, it's, and it's really hard to opt out. Laura, what do you think? Is that your right to know what your data profile looks like to a company like Cambridge Analytica? Yes or no? 
I don't know if it's the right to know, but I would like to know because that's just my personality. Um, I would definitely be curious to know what information they were able to pick up on me. And I mean, because you think about it, I mean, I don't know, you guys, like every so often you like Google yourself to see like what's out there about you and you'll find some random thing. You're like, that's weird. But this is on a different level. This is like when you get those like targeted ads on your Facebook feed and you're like, huh, that's kind of creepy because I didn't even like type anything in I was just talking about it and like you know maybe the Alexa heard me you know so you start to feel then like you're paranoid with the type of information that's being collected on you and um, you know I was having a conversation with one of our neighbors because I was talking about you know and and her dad was visiting and we were talking about this documentary and I was like god it's like crazy the information and he's like no online banking pays all his bills by hand no social media and he's like and that makes me sound like a paranoid conspiracy theorist but when you see something like this, it's like, if you want to experience life as it is now, I think you maybe you have to just sort of acknowledge people can find a whole lot of shit about me out there. I don't feel like there's any happy medium because it's it, we're just such a technology-driven society at this point. And I liked how they used all the pop-up bubbles during the start of this documentary to sort of illustrate that. Because that really, I mean, that's that's the world we're living in. And unless you want to completely remove yourself from that, it's it's impossible not to have all that out there. The name of the documentary is The Great Hack. Mm. And a hack implies somebody that has broken in through a firewall and figured out a password and did this intrusion into your your digital space. And it's not a hack. It's information that we have all voluntarily given over the years by filling out profiles and taking quizzes that identify, yes, I'm a high-achieving person and they put it all together, and it's all legal. And I think that the documentary lets us off the hook for our own responsibility, our own culpability. I've been using Facebook for 10 years, and I've spent $0 on it. And that's because I don't have a Facebook account. Facebook has a Kevin Flynn account. Oh, that should be their log line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just to be real, I don't do those stupid quizzes because I know I'm an ENTJ. It's just the way that it is. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all designed for advertising, and we're kind of okay with it when we get served up an ad you know, for our favorite uh, designer clothes. Right. But then when it comes to be a political ad, we think of it in a different light. But it's the same infrastructure. See, it I- is. I guess I disagree a little bit in that, like, A, I've never done those stupid quizzes because I don't know why. I'm just not interested. It wasn't. Yeah, but one of your kids could do them for you. I go, like, seriously. No, exactly. And then I think there's a hell of a lot of stuff that you don't, again, if you want to buy something with and you don't have cash or you order something, like, that goes in. Like, that's not me volunteering information. That's me sort of living my life and people are going to harvest those actions to get information on me. This isn't something I spend like sleepless hours worrying about, but it is reality. So if it was the kind of thing where it was like, they can take all the information that I put on Facebook or volunteer for this offer, that offer, whatever, that's fine. But a fair amount of what they're getting is just stuff that you have to volunteer as a member of society right now, unless you're going to go to great, great lengths to not volunteer that stuff. And that means having a radically different life than most people have, I think. Like living like you're in The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, yeah. that's, yeah. 
exactly. All right. Well, let's do what we do. Let's give our thumbs up or thumbs down review for The Great Hack. It's a documentary on Netflix. It is not a long watch or a high commitment. And I'm curious, guys, do you give a thumbs up or thumbs down to our listeners? Should they check it out? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Uh, Thumbs up. I I just thought it was interesting, um, you know, to get this behind the scenes account of this, you know, because I had seen the headlines of the story, but this level of detail and also, I really like the Thailand videos and the scene there. So thumbs up. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Great Hack? Uh, yeah, I thought it was good. Uh, I give it a thumbs up for a lot of the reasons we've talked about. Again, it's not like a huge time commitment. Uh, I think there's a lot of interesting things to think about. I, I think Brittany Kaiser is, a, is an interesting character. And, you know, her portrayal is a little more complex than you often see as, for somebody who's like sort of, quote unquote, the protagonist of one of these things. So, thumbs up. I liked it too. I will say it's not as good as Citizen Four, which I will tell everybody, if they have not seen Citizen Four, the documentary about Edward Snowden, run, don't walk to watch it. It's it's kind of like this, but actually like way more suspenseful, even though you know what happens. Um, but I thought this was really good. Some of my favorite elements of the documentary were the way it was made. There was a lot of time and care put in, obviously multiple film crews kind of tracking with different characters at the same time. So you could see them getting reactions to the things like the testimony on Capitol Hill, for instance, of Mark Zuckerberg at the same time, which I thought was really cool, the way that was put together. Um, So yeah, I'm giving a thumbs up to The Great Hack on Netflix. I recommend it. What about you, Kevin? I'm a thumbs down. I think that it has a really interesting premise, and it gets out a lot of good information. It is thoughtful in the idea about the digital world that we've set up. I don't particularly care for the uh, Citizen Four aspect of it, I don't think Britney was terribly likable, and it dragged when we get to the parts of watching people, watching other people on television for drama. I thought that was really weak. You know, for all that, I'm giving it a thumbs down. It's a lot of us looking at people, looking at screens. Hmm. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Moving on. 
Vault Studios has teamed up with WHAS-TV News for the new podcast, Bardstown. Growing up here and dealing with everything that's going on now, it's like, I'm surprised this town's even standing. I know everybody, so it's hard to also to think that somebody here in my town could would do such a thing. Bardstown, Kentucky is a small town in the heart of the Bluegrass State. The kind of town you can wander around in for a few hours and feel like you're back in time. But Bardstown, Kentucky also has secrets. The series examines five unsolved cases in a small Kentucky town over the past few years. They include the disappearance of a single mom, the torture and murder of a mother and daughter, and the deadly ambush of a local cop. He just said, they've killed him, they've killed him. I said, who, who's they? And uh, he said, I don't know, he's, he's gone, chief, he's gone. Host Shay McAllister looks for connections between the disparate crimes by interviewing family members, investigators, and local conspiracy theorists. The 10-part series seeks to turn up new evidence and close some of these unsolved cases. Now we are going to be talking plot points for Bardstown through episode three. So for our spoiler-free reviews, go to the time code listed in our show notes. Now this is one of those times where I'm just going to say it out of the box. I really wanted to like this podcast. I wanted to like it because the trailer was super good. Because the people who made it made another podcast that we really liked that Toby recommended, Bomber, which I listened to and really liked. Right, Toby? Yes. And the people who work at Vault are super duper nice. I corresponded with them a little bit until we're going to read the show. But I have to say... I hate this podcast and I just want to be upfront about it only because I don't want to do like a lot of build up. This is definitely a thumbs down review for me, but I do think it's important to talk don't spoil about your why. spoiler free review <laughs> because, you know, let's let's just like put it up there. I do love the idea of the premise here. This idyllic Kentucky town that's like supposed to be one of the most beautiful small towns in America. They describe the bourbon culture. They sort of give you the sort of uh, point of view of some of the residents who are like this place used to be awesome and now it's terrible because of all of these crimes. Like, that is a good premise. Is it not, Kevin Flynn? It is. I mean, it's a great pitch, and I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, it shot up the charts because it has this sort of really great promise about, okay, five unsolved murders, same town. What's going on? Are there connections? And I think when we listen, find out that it's very hard to really draw those connections and the way the story is told, I think, is very amateurish. Mm. Toby, I know that you also thought that the concept was promising, right? Yeah. No, I think I think the a small town police force trying to deal with this sudden rash of really horrendous crimes. Yeah. Again, like you said, has a lot of promise. But um, I guess we'll hear what people think about how they executed it. <laughs> Now, Laura, um, you, like me, thought there was something missing from the beginning because Shay McAllister and Jessica Knoll, who's the local investigative reporter she's working with on this podcast, uh, do the setup, the idyllic town. They talk about the bourbon sort of industry and how the town was shaped. It sounds very much like one of those little towns you see on HGTV with the little box trucks and the woodworking mm-hmm. shops and all that stuff. And then they sort of say there's it was you know blighted by these string of crimes 
But then the first whole episode is about one of them and we never kind of get the full picture. Like, what are we talking about here? I felt like it needed that. Do you agree? Yeah, that's actually, that was the teaser, the trailer, like we've talked, you guys were talking about. It sounded really promising. And I'm like, wow, this is really intriguing, this little town with these unsolved murders. So what I was, you know, looking for before we dove into two episodes about the murder that they talked about in their first two episodes was the sort of what I would call a nut graph or sort of something to give you the overarching concept of the intrigue or mystery around these unsolved murders and why this is more than just a coincidence in in their eyes. Like, here's the people that were killed. Here's the times that they were killed. Like, just what are we getting into here? And then so we went straight from like the mayor talking about Bardstown to our story begins on a dark and stormy night or whatever it was. And then, you know, I'm like, wait, what happened to the rest of this? Because to me, I think not to diminish any of the loss of life that we're hearing about in this podcast, but I, I kind of wanted from a storytelling perspective, some crumbs dropped to sort of keep me interested in what is this theory that they're working on? Because you feel like there is some theory that people in this town have, it's not this cornbread mafia theory that was, or whatever that was. Like, remember remember the Amish mafia, Lebanon Leroy? Yes. Who turned out yes. not to even be a real Amish mafia person, fake for TV. I'm like, so I felt like I wanted some crumbs dropped, a little bit more storytelling, and it felt like, I'm, I'm really going off on this now. Um, I just felt like they just like did a bunch of interviews and didn't edit them and just put them all into a file. Well, I will say the strongest part of the podcast for me was the beginning of the story of the Jason Ellis murder. This kind yeah. of a TikTok yeah. where they play a bunch of radio transmissions from that night and it sort of lays out what happened. 139, Adam, dispatch. 139, go ahead. Clear, flash at 815, County. His drive from the Bardstown police station takes him past my old Kentucky home state park several cornfields, and the local Cracker Barrel before turning onto the eastbound ramp. The moon lights his way down the Bluegrass Parkway. Jason slows down to get off his exit for home, exit 34 to Route 55. As his Bardstown police cruiser curves around the dark, winding ramp, he sees something in the middle of the road. There are freshly cut and purposely placed tree limbs in the middle of the exit ramp. Do we have to hear every transmission? We don't. You know, part of, I think, what is hap- happens, and Laura is alluding to it, is that there's sort of just like, some like big chunks of audio just stacked on top of each other without really fitting into things. Like, one thing, you know, that you do is, suppose like when you're talking about a victim, it's it's very common and we would want to hear people talk about their feelings and describe the guy, right? So what they end up doing is, you know, usually you would group things together as an idea. So you'd hear from his wife talking about what a great guy he was and his sister, and then a co-worker talking about that, and then move on to some other things. We end up hearing like a lot from the wife mm. talking about what a great guy is and then all this other stuff, and then moving on to somebody else, and then it's like five minutes later and you're hearing again what a great guy is. In Sheriff Ray Penaroa's office, the walls are lined with blown-up photos of Jason and his family. The Army veteran who spent two tours in Korea joins in a fallen officer bike ride each year in Jason's memory. He took office in January, but he knew Jason when he was a deputy 
and Jason was a Bardstown police officer. Went to school, went to the academy with him. I worked day shift, and he worked nights, so I only saw him for about two hours of our shifts. Responded to several things together and stuff, but overall, kind of like the class clown type deal. So you knew something exciting was going to happen if he was on scene. I'm not picking on what a great guy he was. I'm absolutely sure he was. But as the example, those different things we keep hearing like over and over again. The same information. The same information. I don't need to hear from a fourth person what high school that girl was going to. Right. You know, there's just not a lot of thought put into how to arrange this and how to parse it down. Right. I I, I timed this. I went back and timed this. The soundbite with the newspaper editor, when they say, we're walking across the newsroom. It was exactly two minutes long. Ah, uh, too long. One, just, yeah. It demonstrates to me that when you're editing that, you have no understanding of what the value is. If you think all of it is valuable, none of it is valuable. Right. So can we talk about another huge problem with this story? Yeah. How, excuse my language, the fuck, did an amateur blogger <laughs> who is spouting theories and doesn't even have the basic facts of the cases right end up being a primary source interview for two actual journalists making a podcast. In his blog, and now with us, he shares his thoughts on what he believes happened to the Bardstown police officer. Well, the hot gossip at the time was that uh, a local gang called the BMGs, or the Big Money Gang, um, they're big on drug trafficking, uh, um, that they had some sort of involvement in it. And I have cousins who consider themselves parts of the BMG. And from everything I've gathered, I think there are a bunch of kids that watch entirely too much television. I don't think that they would have the brains or the resources to execute the execution of a law enforcement officer. I mean, just considering the, the, the planning that had to go in, into it. I think it's an easy cop-out to try to pin it on, you know, some gangbanger wannabes. The angle was funny enough that it wasn't just some random idiot with a gun, and it probably wasn't even a hobbyist hunter. It was someone who knew how to use a long-range assault rifle. Toby, do you have thoughts about that? Uh, my only thought about that is that I think you could have a pretty good podcast about that guy and Mm. just his sort of going off about these things that just, you know, sort of randomly and without facts. He's like John McLemore, right? And that's yeah, and and just and and maybe have that contrasted to what's actually what the truth of it is. Like that that might be kind of interesting. I'm not exactly sure how you do it. Some of these some of these sort of cranky like local bloggers are are kind of interesting. I just like I feel like they need an angle on this and like that might have been an angle. But he doesn't even have the facts right, Toby. I know, but like I he, mean that's they what... leave in an interview with him talking about we just heard the facts of the cop shooting. He was shot with shotgun. There's like obviously pellets everywhere. And then this amateur blogger talks about how like even the police reports say it had to have been like a a sharpshooter with a sniper rifle. That's not even an no, accurate no, fact but of I, the case. No, the way they use I should have been more clear. The way they use them is, is ridiculous. I mean, I think they're just trying to find somebody else who can like add a little intrigue into it, but that's not the guy. I, I think they could have framed him differently. So I do think that there is something to be said for adding some local color and sort of like 
hey, you know, this has gotten a lot of attention around the community, leading to a lot of people to like come up with their own theories because of frustration, including this guy, but not putting him out as somebody that's like an expert on the case, but just to kind of set the scene of how the community is processing what's happened and how they're they're handling it. And, and so I think maybe framing how he was introduced a little bit differently. All right. Well, he's not the only problematic source in the podcast because... In the second episode, I believe, which talks about kind of the forensics around the Jason Ellis murder, apparently the police believe he was ambushed by two people with shotguns and they kind of explain why. But then when they talk to the police source, he doesn't even seem to have a strong grasp of the forensic facts. So um, it was well planned. It was lethal from the start. They brought uh, the instruments with them, the shotgun or shotguns with them. And we know that he was shot from two different uh, directions. Now, it, it could very well be that Jason moved and was shot subsequently as he moved, you know, because he was shot on both sides of the head, torso, the arm. It could very well be that he moved his position and was shot from the stationary position. However, the wound patterns and the uh, the spread of the shotgun shells were measured by the medical examiner and determined to be fired from uh, intermediate and, um, and and distant ranges, different ranges. Uh, now, that could be that somebody's advancing. Um, you know, if you advance, there's a lot of disparity there about what the police investigated and found. And then what this, again, primary source is saying on tape, and the reporters are never challenging it or asking any follow-up questions. Kevin, did that bother you? Yeah, I mean, first of all, that wasn't a very helpful description of the attack. Yeah, yeah, I mean, in general, I think, I mean, if we're going to shift now to the reporters here, I think that Shay is not doing a good job as the anchor of this. Jessica Knoll, who is... The, seems to be the reporter we're hearing doing the interviews. On seems to have a little more energy, a little more you know apparent interest in the stories, and could probably take this. But you know when I I hear Shay's you know narration, you know I just picture somebody like with dead eyes looking out at the, the horrors of the apocalypse or something like. That. It's just so deadpan. It's really dragging everything down. Inside the Bardstown police station, Jason's memory is alive and well. A large black wooden sign is the first thing you see on the wall as you walk in through the double doors. With a blue line painted across the black, it states, The thin blue line. To some, it is just a... Another interesting thing that comes up when we talk to the investigator around the Jason Ellis case is that this cop gives some sense of what he thinks is a criminal profile of the person who committed this ambush. Whereas a strong emotional factor can be just, you may have just cut in front of me at the line of the store and I've decided, you know, that ticks me off and I'm going to cut your head off. There are psychopaths that are like that. They don't think twice about it. And that's a true psychopath. They can be high-functioning. Sometimes they're just sociopathic, psychopathic, and, and they just do things without a conscience. Toby, what did you think of this very expert profile of this uh, potential perpetrator or perpetrators of this killing? Yeah, I think at one point he basically says about the person who was murdered, I, I guess it was the, the Netherlands, that it was a type of person who would commit a murder. 
And I was like, yeah, all right, that's good. That's good. Go. We're, we're starting on the profile right now. <laughs> could could uh-huh. murder the kind of person who would just go ahead and kill. And then one of the reporters asks him, one of the talks of the town is that this seemed personal. Yeah. So I, yeah, the town the town can go fuck off. <laughs> so I, I don't like Cantankerous Kevin is back. I, I think there's I think there is a potential story here about this police force that's just not cut out for dealing with this level of violence, like trying to work their way through it. But are you okay, Toby, with the reporter basically saying, okay, but a lot of people in town think that this police force is also corrupt. Or naming people as potential suspects. A lot of people say that Jason Ellis didn't get along with this other cop named blah, blah, blah. Right, and then... Is that okay? And then they said, they they dropped that weird hint about the surviving Netherlands sister. Yeah. About like, some people say that, that it might have had something to do with her. And let's go off to a different topic and never come back to it again. It's like, what? And some people say? <laughs> Who says? What's the data? Get the interview. I'm just saying like they're, they're like these little strands where it's like maybe they could have gone in that direction or maybe they could have gone in this direction and and had something you could kind of grab onto. Like it's weird because, I mean, I think part of what sort of I thought was attractive about this and what was going to be attractive about this and what was certainly attractive about Bomber was that you have these local reporters talking about something that was kind of on their beat and I think showing the value of local reporting. In this case, it's just really, it's not there, you know? It doesn't- Yeah, we're not getting that. It seemed like you could have amateur people kind of doing the same thing with the same result. Like, you don't really see the craft, the journalism craft going on too much. Now, Laura, you had some of the same complaints as Kevin. A lot of um, whole interviews without taking out repetitive details, people saying the same thing over and over again. The other thing that I heard in the podcast was just very, very poor audio editing. Yeah. Yeah, Samantha and Kathy, you know, everyone has said that they had no enemies, that there's no idea how something like this would happen. It was a very violent, very brutal uh, murder, especially against the daughter, Samantha. Now, we know that, you know, we've come on this podcast to kind of grade stuff on a scale. I mean, let's be real. That's what we do. If somebody who is new to the medium comes out with something fresh and interesting and cool, we will sometimes say, like, this is not, like, the most artistically edited thing in the world, but, like, it's doing a good job for the resources that were here. But now we have a company that has had a couple of podcasts that have gotten some attention. They have some resources. They're working with a TV station. That's not nothing. You know, have I think prof- the TV station is working with them. Yeah. Well, they have some professional reporters. Yeah. They've put out another show that, you know, at least one of us listened to and liked. I also listened to and liked the two of us. Don't you feel at some point you got to step it up with just getting an editor, getting the audio editing, yeah. getting your production stuff together? Yeah, I was just because when they were doing the interviews, there was a lot of echo around the reporters that were doing the interviews. 
Like you could hear it just it, it didn't sound like whatever was going on was working. But the, the editing, that's what I felt like. I felt like, did anybody edit this? Because, you know, we talked about the, the repetitiveness, but it would be like, you know, then we got into the woman and her daughter that were murdered. And like we had like four people in a row talking about how her husband had died and she was a beloved teacher. Like, again, the same details. But the thing they were good people, they were quality people, you know, so but so I kind of I started to tune out after a while because it, it lost me like from a narrative standpoint, because the story wasn't being told in like, you know, a compelling storytelling way. It was just being told like plopped down, you know, back to back. But the other my biggest problem was. I had no idea who the hell was talking half the time because it was jumping all around. And I'm like, is this the police chief who left that's talking? Wait, now there's another police person talking, but I'm not sure if this is the same guy I was listening to. Like, I mean, I don't know if anyone else had that problem. I actually had to listen twice and I still was like, okay, who's this person? Why are we hearing from them? So I felt like it suffered from not having somebody come through and really tighten up the storytelling in such a way that you didn't get lost listening because you just tuned out when you were hearing the same thing over and over again. This reminds me a lot of murderous Miami. Mm, they get the same issues. Yeah. Yes. The big chunks of Felonious audio. Florida. Felonious Florida. Felonious Florida. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, Murderous Miami would be the companion podcast Probably. of Florida. But yeah, it was sort of big chunks of audio with uh, no guiding narration uh, to keep you going. And it just... You're right, it just keeps coming back around and around to sort of the same points. But they never actually tell you what happened. Yeah. Like, I still don't quite know what the I'll, crimes are to be focusing on. Even though with the, with the mother and daughter of the Netherlands, they tell us they were murdered in a horrible way. But they never really help us connect the dots as to why we should be paying attention to this when we just spent two episodes listening to the Jason Ellis murder. They don't say, except for when we go back to our friend, the amateur blogger, they don't say this is part of a bigger picture, which they told us the beginning of the podcast was the promise. Yeah. I just feel like I'm constantly missing something with this podcast. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think one of the things that I came to piggyback on what you're saying, Rebecca, is I was like, okay, so are these actually connected? Because I, like you said, I haven't been given information to lead me to think that they are at this point. Or is this just a rural area where there is a lot of poverty and a lot of crime and they just happen to have kind of really bad luck to have some things happen back to back? Or some of it's connected, some of it's not. I, I guess I'm missing, like you said, I'm missing the bigger picture in terms of what's going on. So I will tell you, I did a little Googling, of course. And um, one of the murders that we haven't even heard about yet has been solved. So that sort of throws that theory out the window a bit in terms of these all being connected to each other. Right. Wait, what? I looked it up today because I just couldn't take it anymore because I was like, <laughs> what is happening in here? Is this really a giant conspiracy? So I looked I looked up it to see what I could read, you know, in the local newspapers and what had been covered in the local media. I mean, you actually looked at journalism, Laura Brecker? I did because I was getting so frustrated because I was like, I want the great mystery in this little town that was promised to me. So I went and looked it up. And, you know, the murder that we haven't heard about yet, which is a woman who's killed and then her father is killed after her in a hunting accident yeah so that is tied to because he was getting close <laughs> that's just, it was, that was like in a like a boyfriend or a husband or somebody of hers that killed her and then they think you you know so that one has a resolution they did have a name suspect in that they one. did yeah. they have somebody yeah. that's been arrested we need a little bit more 
of that like kind of larger story of what does this mean in the bigger context? Is this just a bunch of murders that happened or is there something bigger going on here? Yeah, it's a unifying equation. Yeah. Like like maybe it's the rise of the opioids crisis that crime yeah. is on the increase in this formerly idyllic town Yeah, exactly. or something that yes. isn't just a, a giant question mark in the sky. All right, well, I don't know if we have much more to say. I mean, I, don't, I think it would be weird now to point out more quibbles or stylistic issues with Bardstown. I don't believe that the... The cop was targeted. You don't. I can't. Und- How could you say that it, somebody would know when that guy was coming home? They got to throw that stuff across the road that the next car coming off that highway is going to be that cop and not some guy coming home after working third shift. Listen, Kevin, there was a guy I who just, didn't invite to his barbecues. That yeah, guy had some motive. I just think that that's <laughs> a crazy theory, but that's just me. Yeah. Well, you are cantankerous, Kevin. My new favorite cantankerous, Kevin. Oh my god. That was an autocorrected from cancerous, Kevin. No, it was cantankerous. Oh, no, that makes it really unpleasant. Which is a super fun alliteration of your name, and is my new favorite thing. I think that needs a sound effect. We need like a cantankerous (laughs) Kevin sound effect. Kevin, can you make shut up, Laura? Be like, (laughs) leave me alone. Frustrated, cantankerous noise. Yeah, I don't like it. It's the return of cantankerous <laughs> Kevin. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again, and you can say the noise again, and then we can make it a sound effect. You ready? And here we are. It's cantankerous Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my god! All right. Well, let's do what we do. Let's give our thumbs up or thumbs down review for Bardstown, a brand new podcast that is near the top of the Apple podcast charts right now, so... I guess some people out there are really loving it. I'm going to change the order up a little bit. Toby Ball, thumbs up or thumbs down review for Bardstown? What do you think? Yeah, I, you know, I, I wish I didn't have to give it a thumbs down, but there's not a whole lot to recommend it, unfortunately. Laura Bricker, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Bardstown? Uh, I am going thumbs down. I was going to say fins down with my parrot head thing, but I'm not going to dignify that. <laughs> so I'm going to say thumbs down. <laughs> Yeah, me too. I haven't recently been as disappointed in a podcast as I am in this one. I think it's just because it had gotten some hype. I had listened to the trailer, which I thought was a pretty strong trailer. So strong, in fact, that I like reached out to try to get preview episodes so we could review it. I am so disappointed in this podcast. I think it's awful. I give it a big thumbs down. Kevin Flynn, what about you? I'm also a thumbs down. Who would think that Toby would be the most positive <laughs> among us? It happens very occasionally. So yeah, I'm a I'm a thumbs down. I think that this is a meandering podcast that is just throwing soundbite onto soundbite, just trying to pile another block on top of another block. And guess what? There are seven more episodes to come. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> And I'm not comfortable with the careless way that accusations are thrown out against people. It's something that I would not want to see. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. 
Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the the week. William Kelly of Washington State tried to get into his Ford pickup truck when he saw an auto thief jump in and drive away. It's possible the crime victim forgot he left his keys in the vehicle because his mind was on robbing the store across the street. When Kelly reported the stolen truck, police reviewed security video for the parking lot. It showed one alleged thief chasing another alleged thief, only to be left standing in the middle of the parking lot with his ill-gotten goods. Kelly was arrested and charged with burglary. His truck has yet to be recovered. I think we can all agree it's pretty bad luck when someone steals your getaway vehicle. So panel, this is my question for you. This was an ironic ending to this crime spree. What other ironic thing happened to this would-be super criminal? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Um, I feel like this has all the makings of a country western song. So (laughs) I'm going to say his dog died and his girlfriend ran off with the guy who stole the truck. (laughs) (laughs) Toby Ball, what about you? What do you think happened to this would-be super criminal that would be super ironic. I just kind of interested uh, about the weather on the day he got married. <laughs> <laughs> hey, stole his girl, stole his truck. Kevin, you know what I think happened? What? I think a super crappy true crime podcast got made about him. That's what I think happened. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, what ironic thing do you think happened to this would-be super criminal? And that hold up, he had 10,000 spoons when all he needed was a knife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Isn't that ironic? It is very ironic. We should probably end on that note. But before we do, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? In honor of you, Rebecca, we have a dog. Yay! I know you've been waiting. My favorite animal. I know. So um, this is actually... And by the way, pause. I have an amazing story about my dog that I will also be telling in this week's after show. Go ahead, Laura Bricker. Tell us about our dog of the week. All right. This is from Stephanie Carey, our listener, Queen of Quirky, who rescued a pup from Puppies for Parole, a great program run through the Missouri Department of Corrections. That's amazing. She says, I will bail her out tomorrow from Max Security Prison. Her hmm. name was Fruit Loop, but we will call her Franny. Uh, she nice. even came with an operations manual with notes about her personality and behavior from the inmate who trained her, as well as a commissary bag with raw hides. Now, Laura, can you make sure to send us a link to that program so we can put it in the show notes in case they're taking donations or something? Because I'm a big fan of programs like that. I will do that. I'll write myself a little note. Send puppy on patrol. 
<laughs> Laura Bricker, people want to pitch to you their dogs, cats, or other sundry animals to be cat of the week. How can they find you online? At Laura Bricker on Twitter. And tell you both, if folks want to reach out to you and, I don't know, chat with you about sports ball, how can they find you on Twitter? At TobyBallNH. And Kevin Flynn, if people want to write to you on Twitter and get your address so they can send you uh, congratulatory cancer-free gifts. Just kidding. So they can just say, happy that you're healthy. How can they find you on Twitter? Uh, they'll find me, as well as my swelling up ring finger, <laughs> at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you strenuously to join the amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. I say it's amazing because the conversations there are highbrow. They're fun. The members are wonderful. And also you can follow us on Twitter at Crime Writers On. Support the show on Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. And you'll get the Crime Writers On After Show Married with Podcast. Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast and Lara Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast. Our theme song was performed by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, but not Studio C, the closet in our basement where we store everyone's Facebook data on a single floppy disk. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. I'm sorry, I, I can't think straight because my house my has been overwhelmed by disgusting cologne this week. So <laughs> I literally I can't even like deal. It's disgusting. I don't know which is worse, like pe- like teenage bo or it's like cologne that somebody's grandfather had who died that now Will wants to wear. So your house smells like the Staten Island Ferry, basically. It's fucking disgusting. I get two hours to edit here. We don't have two hours. It's fine. We started at 20 minutes late. Kevin, I'm going to edit this podcast and and give you like your freedom back. She's going to edit this podcast on her (laughs) painkillers. Sakes. Wow, wow. I do this every week. You do it once and you're going to complain? Wow. Jesus. What would Michelle say on Dairy Girls? She'd be like, I'm going to get me some that Protestant ass. (laughs) Fuck that. Yeah. You guys want to do some blow? members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.